more so now than ever before, we need to learn how to access people at an intellectual level. Intellectual chemistry is where people still remain human. They feel switched on and connected. But we, uh, we, we resort to digitization. So how do you create those human experiences in a massively digital-driven world? Those are the questions. Hey guys, welcome to the Matt Brown Show. This podcast is powered by Digital Kung Fu. And I'm proud to bring you the stories of entrepreneurs hustling today's markets and building and creating great things in their own lives and in the world of business. Hey guys, welcome back. Today I have the great privilege of having Brad Shawkind as my guest and it was an interesting interview. Uh, Brad is a behavioral scientist, coach, specialist, leader thing. I don't know. Yeah, you'd run with that. Behavioral specialist, entrepreneur, leader, you can mountain climber, wannabe drummer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we were going to talk about uh, a subject about how tough entre- entrepreneurship is and the kind of a paradigm shift that's needed um, in terms of the reality of entrepreneurship versus what people think it's about. But actually, we detoured onto the subject of largely leadership, yeah, and consciousness. And it was a great chat. And I think it's a talk. Uh, well, it's a, it's a subject really that I haven't explored at all on the show, and yet it's so fundamentally important to the success of an entrepreneur's business. I think um, it's. Uh, there is no other conversation to be having because anybody who's going into business is taking on one, they're all taking on the same job and that's the job of becoming leaders. So it's a, it's a critical starting point. Cool. And there you have it, guys, a joint intro to this episode. So without further ado, enter Brad Shawkin. I have the great pleasure of having with me a guy whose name keeps coming up, if I'm honest. Uh, <laughs> his name is Brad Shawkin. Brad, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks for having me here. Cool, man. You're very welcome. Um, so I always like to tee up our guests with their backstory. So I kept I mentioned just now how your name keeps coming up. And there's a number of reasons that I'm aware of. But uh, why don't you fill our listeners in on the headlines of your backstory? So I'd be curious to know where my name keeps coming up. You can fill me in uh, when we have a gap. Backstory is um, I was an architect. That was where my my professional career started. Um, Before that, though, before I went into architecture, I actually wanted to be a professional soccer player. But it was back in the days when we didn't have access to overseas. Um, There weren't scouts floating around South Africa. So I left school, bummed around a bit, and then um, went and studied architecture. And did what one does. Qualified, went into practice, and practiced for many years. But um, during that time, my business partner and I had this big idea. We were going to build a big portfolio of businesses. And you build businesses. We all have that, right? (laughs) They make you lots of money and you retire at 30. Um, Or in our case, 40. (laughs) Well, hang on, 50. (laughs) (laughs) 46 right now. Uh, Retired many times over and started (laughs) again many times over. Um, But we did. We built a portfolio of, of, of diverse businesses whilst... Running the architecture practice on, on a global scale, we were doing work around the world, which was amazing. Um, and then we started to get into into retail ventures and consulting ventures and construction ventures, and we were in the the beauty game. Uh, I know it's it's ironic, and uh, but is we that were, what explains all your good looks? Eh? It, it's a, it's a no brainer. It's a, why I'm I'm 46, looking 30. It's moisturizer. <laughs> um, it's what you learn when you're in the beauty game. But what happened was uh, we missed one critical thing 
and we miss the fact that people need to be led. You can open up as many businesses as you want, but if you don't actually pay attention to what it is that switches people on, gets them thinking, gets them performing, the, the essence of culture, and I had no idea. We knew, I knew how to run an architecture practice, and that's what we were, was what we were good at. But the other stuff, uh, you know, music retail business, if you don't pay attention, what happens is stock walks out the door and suddenly a million rands worth of stock becomes a million rands worth of empty boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, CDs are valuable on the street and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So um, it was 13 years ago that somebody said to me, why don't I get myself a coach? Coaching was very new in South Africa. And I Googled, I found a program based in consciousness. And that's a word I use very cautiously, especially in the corporate context. You know, you say consciousness and they, they take you outside and hang you from a tree because <laughs> it's witchcraft. Um, and so it's, it's, it's catching a wake up. It's mindfulness. And um, went, studied, learned about this consciousness thing, and then realized as much as I loved architecture, I didn't want to be there anymore. I was a slave to building sites. Um, just wasn't getting to the things that I, that I loved outside of architecture. And so I let it go. Um, very difficult. I had a, the best business partner one could ever hope for. Uh, we had an incredible relationship. You guys are still in business together, eh? We're not in business together. Oh, you're not? We, um, we had all those businesses together. We dismantled all of them. We sold them, gave them away, closed one or two. Uh, he's still my best friend to this day. He's like my brother. And that was a, a big lesson in, in the quality of partnership because – there was just one simple fundamental. I knew when he left the business, every morning to go and do his thing, he was doing the right things for the business. We never made it about ourselves. We both made it about the business and that served us. Mm. And that's been something I've carried through into, I must have had 20 plus business partnerships since then of new ventures we've founded. And um, fortunately, most good relationships. Uh, one or two, I've literally had to have a business partner arrested because people misbehave. Really? You know, when somebody steals a million bucks from your business, um, as in piggy bank as in but literally piggy bank you need to take action and if conversation doesn't get you anywhere you need to step up the heat so unfortunate and that thing happens occasionally but um, what happened was I moved in the direction of um, I took that coaching thing and said okay now what and started a business called Urban Everest which is a perspective agency Urban Everest was designed to help business leaders think differently about innovation strategy culture and leadership but that didn't happen instantly i dabbled with this consciousness thing in two other brief ventures the first was relationship coaching as in boy girl boy boy girl girl and i sat at the table watching these people have it out and i sat there thinking you need a clap and you need a clap and it's just all ego and i thought i was going to shoot myself so i let that go pretty quickly and i thought i'll use this consciousness thing to um to work in the world of mental conditioning for sports people because sports is something that's very close to me and always has been. Then I realized that there's absolutely no money in South Africa unless you work with the Springbok rugby team or the Proteus cricket team. Otherwise, nobody's giving you an opportunity to be the cop doctor, you know, women's bowls and and, there's no budget there. So um, eventually became a a business consulting, but I I don't like the word consulting. It it really is about perspective. And that's branched out into all sorts of different activity over these years. Um, doing a lot of the same, but differently in different contexts and a number of different businesses along that way. Mm. That's great. Um, I want to pick up on this term consciousness. What does it mean? I don't want to talk definitions, but you know, in terms of the dictionary or whatever, but what does the term consciousness mean for you in the corporate slash entrepreneur space? So the non-dictionary consciousness definition from my side is Really having an awareness of yourself, um, what it is that's triggering you, what it is that makes you tick, 
what your deeper values are, and then the impact you're having on people around you. Literally every moment of the day, you're impacting and pushing energy out into your world through words, through activity, through facial expression, and the awareness of what that's doing to somebody else. Because ultimately, everybody's having an experience of you. And in the world of business, where this becomes very interesting, is as a leader. You know, what is it? I think the leadership conversation is a very simple one. And I work with lots of leaders uh, around the world on, on the basic conversation of how do they engage their businesses. And that's becoming a very complicated conversation because the world is changing so fast mm. that leaders have got a dual complexity. The one is how do I lead my business for what's right in front of us right now? And how do I take it into the future? And it's a future that I don't necessarily know or understand. Um, the consciousness thing is, is from a leadership point of view, very simply, how do I switch people on and how do I grow them? Because what are your options? Switch them off and deplete them. Mm. And as a leader, that's got to be the intentionality. So it's that understanding of how do I impact? That's the consciousness. That's the awareness thing. And then as a, as a business, um, consciousness becomes is the ability to understand and relate to what's going on outside. What are the human need states? What is it that people really, really want? What's the human-centric aspect of what's going on in your business environment? Because that understanding, that level of awareness is a thing that enables you to innovate to people's wants. Otherwise, we're innovating in a vacuum. So consciousness as a theme, awareness, uh, awareness of impact is a, is a very strong intentionality around what is it that we're thinking and why are we thinking it. Why is leadership so important as an entrepreneur? As an entrepreneur, leadership, well, as an entrepreneur, for me, I think that anybody, I always advise leaders when I'm working with them, startups, one-man business. Start thinking as if you're a thousand big. Start building everything as if you're a thousand big. And that means you've got to switch on your thinking to becoming aware of yourself, how you're establishing culture, the people you're engaging with. And then leadership is, again, it starts, it's a personal journey. Leadership starts with, with me. How am I leading myself? But also where am I leading and what am I leading towards? Because as soon as there are people in your environment, they need to know where they're going. Otherwise, people bob around like a cork on the ocean. Um, if you don't plot coordinates and if you don't put some, um, a motor, if you're a motorboat and you push out into the ocean and you don't have coordinates, you don't have a GPS, you don't have a motor on the back of the boat, you're just going to be pushed around by the wind, the water, the waves. Now put some coordinates in there and that's leadership pointing direction. Put a motorboat on the back. That's leadership creating culture, which creates momentum and the way we do things around here and energy. Suddenly you can go off in a specified direction. You also have the ability to course correct when you know where you're going. And that's what leadership is all about, is being able to see, identify, and course correct. Otherwise, people just do their own thing. What are the kind of key – I love this theme about leadership. Um, Rich actually told me on Monday I need to do a talk about this because of the podcast. I'm talking to leaders all the time. Yeah. Um, but I'm interested to get your views on what are the kind of – what's the character makeup of a great leader? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, 
books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up, it's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. Character makeup of a, I don't, I don't think there's one specific character makeup. I think there's certain characteristics, um, and I think, I think empathy is a big one. Being able to put yourself into somebody else's shoes and really get a sense of what their experience might be, because too many leaders are thinking about the self, myself, as opposed to other people. Um, I also think a um, vulnerability, a leader who can be vulnerable. What I see as a theme too much in the world of business is the old command and control thing where leaders tell a lot. The most powerful leader for me is a leader who's able to get you to think. That is a critical aspect of powerful leadership because in the, in switching on your brain, what essentially what I'm doing is switching you on as a human being. Because again, if I switch your brain off, you leave work frustrated, you leave work um, exhausted, if I switch your brain on, you leave work equally as exhausted because you're working hard, but you leave work excited. And that's where inspiration lives. That's where inspiration grows. So I think um, a leader who has that intentionality. Also a leader who doesn't need to be the expert. Too many leaders feel this need to have all the answers. They feel like they've got to always be in the limelight making a noise. Uh, again, it comes back to that switching on thing. Leaders who have all the fundamental skills to switch people on. And that means you don't have to have all the answers. The best leaders are people who surround themselves with people who know more than they do. And it sounds quite cliched, but it's very true. What books do you recommend entrepreneurs um, to read when it comes to leadership? And if, if they want to, let's say, you know, they're a one to five man business. They've, you know, they've got some traction in the market or whatever the context might be. Invariably, you have a CEO or a founder uh, who's, who needs to lead very well, especially in the early stages, right? Um, so you clearly are very well read up on the subject. Um, so what books would you recommend an entrepreneur kind of read to kind of expand their consciousness about leadership? Um, one of the most profound books I ever read was a book called The Go-Giver by Bob Berg. It's small, it's a short read, but it talks about um, the, the laws of, of astronomical success. And it turns everything on its head about um, you know, being a go-getter. This is about the, actually the behavior of giving, of value. And um, I think there's some very powerful lessons in there for anybody who's starting a new business uh, in terms of, of, of value because the world is looking for value more now than ever before. Another one that um, is very close, to, very close to my heart, in fact, because it was life-changing for me is a book called Multipliers by Liz Wiseman. Um, I was very proud. When I saw this book, I was actually traveling. I was doing an innovation. Um, I was a student uh, in, on an IDEO innovation training program in Dubai. They gave me the book to read overnight, the Multipliers book, and I read through the night. And the essence of that is what I just described, actually. It's about how do you access, we accidentally, we have behaviors that we don't even know about, accidental behaviors, but we shut people's thinking down. Uh, just something as simple as having all the answers always. Nobody else needs to think. Or you're always the idea person. Nobody else needs to think. Or you're always rescuing and saving the day. Nobody else needs to think. What the book does is it shows us what our accidental behaviors are and the distinct subtle differences between somebody who diminishes, shuts down thinking, and somebody who multiplies, opens up thinking. But And I was privileged to now be trained on that and teach that. So it's one of the programs that I run uh, with leaders around the world. And 
it's been incredible to see the um, the insight that they have the moment they realize how their well-intentioned behavior is switching people off. Um, but for me, that's a much more uh, critical conversation than just a leadership conversation because if you're talking about accessing intelligence, if you want to be a business that's going to succeed today, the differentiator is the ability to access thinking or not. In the digital world, the thing that's going to make businesses stand out is businesses that are able to access creativity, human intelligence, because that's where great digital innovation comes from, is great thinking. So, and then also culture. You know, we talk about business cultures. Cultures where people are invited to think, encouraged to think. People are zing, they're stoked. Cultures where people are not invited to think, they're not cool cultures. Yeah, absolutely uh, agree with what you're saying. Um, leadership for me is, is, is an interesting subject to kind of explore in, in kind of more detail. Um, for the simple reason, I've never actually spoken in 58 episodes about leadership, which is almost bizarre now looking back. So... As a leader, how would you just, in fact, how would you describe leadership standards today? In let's take the South African market and looking at your client portfolio, where is that at? That's a great question. So leadership standards, where the the massive breakdown is in uh, in leadership. So I'm working with an organisation at the moment. Um, can't can't mention the name, but um, a massive global uh, organisation, thirty two thousand people in their business. And I worked with their, their executive a couple of months ago. And um, I went around the table, 10 people on the exec, CEO. And I said to them, how many years have you been in the organization? And I added up the years. And most people are horrified when I share how many years this executive team, the, the CEO and his execs have been in the business. 150 years? 200 years. 200 years. The longest serving person, 36 years. And then my next comment, I said to them, yo, that's a lot of baggage. And I saw their eyes go big. <laughs> and then I said, oh, and a lot of wisdom. And um, suddenly said. there was a little bit more peace. Yeah, exactly. And then I said to him, so guys, your challenge here is how you've got to work out what of what you're holding on to is baggage and what of what you're holding on to is wisdom. And that's what's going to take us to the future. We've got to access that wisdom and connect it to where the world is at right now. The greatest failing and one of the biggest challenges in the world of leadership in South Africa that I see, and I think it's a global thing, is the way we measure the KPIs that we set down, our old KPIs. There are new behaviors that are required to lead our businesses, to take businesses into the future, based on what people are wanting, how people want to be treated, but we're still measuring old KPIs. And when we do training programs, we do this kind of work where we teach new behaviors, the the challenge that these leaders have and i can see the the stress on their face is they're going i get this i understand this new way of leading but i'm also being measured another way so you're telling me what i need to do and but how do i yeah how do i lead when i'm being measured differently can you what are some examples of old kpis and maybe you can share with our listeners some examples of new kpis so a a very bad old kpi is um, leaders need to to point people in the right direction, tell them what to do, give them good instruction, and make sure they're doing it the way they were told to do it. Good leadership. Archaic leadership. Modern leadership, uh, and this goes back to the multipliers, but a lot of different mindsets are saying, hold on a second, Um, maybe the leader doesn't have all the best answers. Maybe there's some great intelligence in the room, but while the leader's being measured on being the loud guy who's filling the room with all of his answers or her answers, nobody else needs to think. So old KPI says do that. New KPI should be saying you should be measured 
on how much intelligence you're accessing from the people in your business. The research, the research showed that leaders who are leading well are accessing about 48% of the intelligence that's available to them. How do you even measure that? Uh, and it, again, this is Liz Wiseman's work. This was a deep, deep study across four continents, hundreds of people, and it's an experiential thing. They physically interviewed people using a very powerful questionnaire, and people fed back and said, this is about how much of my intelligence I feel is being accessed. People then do the work, intentionally do the work, come back and um, reassess, and it, they show a significant shift in their feedback of how much they're being accessed. But now if you're an organization paying for 100% of salary, the bum in the chair, the, um, uh, the cost of rental, insurance, all that other stuff, you know, if, you are, if you're carrying the checkbook and you're paying 100% of somebody's salary, the cost of the bum in the chair, all the other indemnity costs, the liability that comes with employing people, but you're getting 48% of their intelligence, they might as well leave and go home just before lunch. And oh, that's organizations that are leading, leading well. Organizations that are leading badly are accessing about 30%. So in the morning, just after tea, everyone might as well bugger off because you're not getting anything out of them technically afterwards. What are some of the routines that leaders can implement on a day-to-day basis to help create a better impact in their businesses? Routines that leaders can implement. So I, one really cool routine. So something, I mean, there's, a, there's more to this than, than the obvious, but one really cool one is um, partners of mine in Dubai, they're called Biz Group. They've got what they call a huddle. Uh, there are about 50 of them. And every morning, three mornings a week, you have to attend a huddle. And um, so it's a big huddle. I mean, there's all of them in a circle and reception. And what they do is they share the successes of yesterday. What are we working on today? And everybody's got to share. What is my focus for the day? Um, any help I need. And what that, it's, it's a really good culture builder, that little technique. It takes 20 minutes, um, but it brings everybody together. There's like-mindedness. There's um, constant sharing of knowledge and information. And what it does is it prevents silo mentality, that little simple strategy. For me also, I think um, something else that, that, that business, uh, leaders should be doing more of is letting go of how they think things should look. Something like a meeting, for example. A lot of leaders come into a meeting and uh, what they do is they dominate that proverbial hour. I don't know why meetings are an hour, but they're an hour. And um, so my worst thing. I said to my EA, I was like, listen, 15-minute meetings only because if you can't get what you need out of 15 minutes, yeah. then it's a workshop. You well, know that's exactly it. The person who invents a new type of outlook that can manage 10 to 15-minute slots become a very wealthy person uh, because they're actually they're re- reinventing the way you use time. Yeah. But meetings, you know, we have a way that we think meetings should look. Uh, redesign the way meetings should look. As, as leaders, give away the running of meetings. Let other people run meetings. Mm-hmm. Your meetings, sit in it, but don't run it. Yeah. Changes ownership, accountability. It means people have to be thinking. Um, technology, for gun, we call it guns down. I see so many people come into meetings or workshops or strategy sessions and they're on the phone or the laptop is open. Technology gets checked at the door and that, and that needs to be something that leaders start to implement. Or even worse, they need to check their own technology at the door because you've got to be present. Being present is a game changer. Uh, another technique I've been working a lot with leaders on recently is in the issuing of instruction or delegation. There are a whole lot of people walking around nodding their heads saying, yeah, I've got this, I've got this. Everyone's got this and no one's got anything. You know, you give an instruction and uh, you say, you got that? And the other person says, yeah, I've got that. 
what happened in that instant was, A, you explained it badly, more often than not, because you were in a hurry and you wanted to get somewhere. In your head, it made perfect sense. The person on the other side was sort of listening. I think they've got it, but they've got nothing. And how we've experimented with this is we've, I've asked leaders I work with in front of me to ask the person you just gave the instruction to to tell you what it is that you're expecting from them. And 99 out of 100 times, they cannot articulate back. So how are they going to do it correctly? So now what I do is I say, deliberately ask, tell them to, not to make them stupid, to make sure you explained it correctly. Just so that I can make sure I've explained correctly, tell me what I'm expecting from you. And, um, but now what you've done is you've just changed the game because if they know you're going to ask them, they've got to turn up their listening. And it creates so much more efficiency. And that's leadership. It's about creating the conditions for success. Yeah. That's what leadership is. But you A, have to define success. That's another one. Spoke at a conference a while back. Global conference. Guy flies in from overseas. Stands on stage. And he rah-rahs with his 130-odd senior leaders from around the world. He says, our goal, our objective for the year is to be industry leaders. And I had to run a strategy session with him afterwards on how are we going to be industry leaders. And... No, they all sat there staring at the guy. Nobody had any clarity. So I said to each of the, tw- the, there was 12 in the session, for you, what does being an industry leader mean? It was very different for the innovation director to the marketing director to HR. Uh, they had a logistics person. For these people, it's all different. And they had no idea what to buy into because this guy was not specific. And we hide behind jargon because the second you get specific, you have, you're accountable. So people like to play in the dark. So I drive people crazy by saying, so what exactly does that mean? It's my favorite question. What, and then they can't explain it to you. Yeah. Do you know, you're picking up on a very important thing about listening. So I do this talk at agencies all about conversations and, um, and the power of listening. And one of the points that I labor is about when you are in a meeting with a potential client, right? Or even with a staff member or the chick that makes coffee. Yeah or whoever it might be, even here, um, there's, there's basically one of two things that are happening. The person that's receiving the communication, in this case me, is either listening to respond or listening to understand. And in, in the large majority of instances, people, businesses, entrepreneurs, even executives, in many, probably to a lesser degree, but on the whole, a lot of people listen to respond. They don't actually listen to understand. Um, and listening is fucking difficult to do. It's a skill, you know, and to your point around, you know, one of my biggest bugbears is when um, you walk into a boardroom and you've got a big presentation to do like a business case, this thing's going to fucking change this business. And the client's sitting there with their laptops open and they're sending emails. Can't handle it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm saying, how, you know, that's not even paying attention. That's not even listening. And there's a respect thing as well. Yeah. You know, you, you talk about um, the, the receiver is either listening to respond or listening to understand. Um, we are so distracted by digital these days that we've, it's taken for granted that uh, digital is acceptable. I can be on my phone, my laptop. You've got to create new boundaries um, because a lack, of, a lack of boundaries creates a lack of respect. Simple as that. But also on top of that, there are other things that get in the way of the clarity of that communication. And this is, again, another failing at leadership. We don't sit down to plan our communication. We don't choose our words. We blurt a lot on the fly. And it's loose tongue syndrome. It's just random commentary. And we've got to remember that the person who's receiving is also in their own state of distraction. They've also got their own filters. So by the time our badly articulated message gets through all of their crap, 
it's a very weak message on the other side. Mm. And leadership is critically about communicating. Otherwise, a whole lot of people are in the assumption of understanding. Mm. And what kind of an organization can you build if that's the case? Yeah. So, you know, building, you talk about entrepreneurship and starting early businesses. I always say to them, start as if you're a thousand big. Um, that's the intentionality. No matter and make decisions as if you're a thousand, thousand big. big. The higher culture, better lawyer. Everything yeah. as if you're a thousand big. That's the starting point. And then the conversation comes up, but we don't have money for that. It's not a money thing. It's an attitude and intentionality thing. You don't have to spend the big. You've got to design the big. And that's the key thing for entrepreneurs. Yeah. Um, and then they need to learn to listen. That's the other thing. Because we sit in so many sessions, so many talks, and so many workshops with early stage entrepreneurs. They're there and they say they're there to learn. And we build learning environments. They say they're there to learn, but they're there very adamantly right about being right about what they're being right about. Mm. And you try and give feedback because we've traveled long and none of us is absolutely right, but some of us have got some experience. Mm. Um, and experience might be asking the right, just asking the right questions. I love questions. Curiosity is a fundamental skill. Um, yet they are so adamant about this thing they think is an amazing idea that's going to change the world. And um, very often, they a month later are gone because they just wouldn't take a little piece of feedback. Yeah. And that's a critical thing, I think. And for leaders as well, I think that vulnerability, no matter how big or small your business is, the availability to hear someone else's feedback is a critical leadership skill. Mm -hmm. I want to detour and talk about the, the relationship between accountability, which is mm -hmm. what you mentioned just now, uh, accountability, um, authority, and responsibility and the relationships of those three things to a business. Because I think entrepreneurs, especially if they're starting out for the first time or they haven't really, you know, been in corporate, even fucking corporates don't really understand this, you know, in terms of the definitions and the dynamics between them. But a scenario that I, that I like to share is the, let's take the, the, the head of finance, right? The CFO, he's accountable for the financial operation of the business. The CEO has authority over those finances. But the business, the rest of the business, is responsible for ensuring that the business is profitable in their daily day-to-day -day operations. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so, so I guess I wanted to just run that past you and say, in your experience talking to executives and coaching them about, you know, leadership and consciousness and, and all the other things that you do, do you feel that there's a clear sense that leaders understand the dynamics between those three things? The catch there, no, there's no way they do. The catch there is it's not as linear as that because inside your model where the CEO has authority, the CFO has accountability, accountability yeah. and the business has responsibility, the business equally has an accountability, their own levels of accountability. No, but accountability for me has to stop with one person. Well, it's, you know, I ran a workshop yesterday with some leaders and um, we talk about when you, when you hand over ownership, you, you say to somebody, this is a technique we teach, you hand over ownership and you say, I'm giving you 51% of this. What have I just said to you? Essentially what I've said to you is you've got the decision, you've got the vote, you're making the decisions um, and I'm holding 49%. I could say I'm giving you 75 and I'm holding 25, but you've got the vote. What I'm essentially saying as a leader is I've got to work out for my 25 or even 95.5 for my five, what am I committing to you? How much time? How much of my intelligence? How much of my energy? How much of my availability? Why it's such a good technique is because I actually have to think about how am I going to show up here? 
but you get to ask me for my 95, what am I expecting from you? For your 95, that is. And um, now then where it goes to is, okay, I've just given you ownership to make this thing happen. But who has the accountability? I have an accountability to whoever I'm reporting into, and you have an accountability into me. We all have accountabilities. The, the complexity is if you screw it up, I gave you 95% ownership. If you stuff it up, who is accountable? We're both accountable. We share the accountability because I had to make sure you could deliver on it. I had to equip you to deliver on it. I had to assist your decision-making to deliver on it. I had to catch you if you were screwing it up so it could be delivered on. Um, otherwise, we're both looking up at someone who's expecting us to deliver something we can't deliver on. The rest of the interview is coming up shortly. But now, a quick word from our sponsors. Exec Care is an executive well-being service that incorporates a clinically-based therapeutic lifestyle modification program to help reduce the high risks associated with executive living. Now, why is this important? Well, entrepreneur health is never, if rarely, spoken about. We're always talking about strategy, product design, competitive advantages, and that kind of thing. But very rarely are we talking about the things that really matter to us in a personal sense, and that is our health. Health is incredibly important for us in terms of entrepreneurship. If we don't have the ability to execute or out-execute our competition, we, it can mean the difference between success and failure. I recently went on the Exec Care program, and it's a six-hour intensive health audit where you see six health professionals back-to-back, um, ranging from a nurse to a biokineticist to a GP to a personal trainer to a dietitian, and finally a psychologist. It was an amazing experience which really revealed some unique insights around my own health which has helped me make new lifestyle decisions that are ultimately making a difference in my business. So I cannot recommend this program enough and Health Insights and Exec Care have come to the table. If you go to healthinsight.net, it's health, the word health and then I-N-S-I-T-E.net forward slash digital kung fu and enter the code digital kung fu you will get 20% off your executive health assessment this episode is brought to you by the digital health score system it's a product that enables any business regardless of size to test and identify where their digital weaknesses are this can range from people or culture to strategy data technical and all the way to innovation it's a proprietary tool which i've tried out and i also cannot recommend this tool enough It'll give you insight into where you rank in your industry, but more importantly, against your competitors. So go to digitalhealthscore.co.za and give it a try. Oh, and one more thing. If you guys are running a small business and you would like some free promotion on this podcast, please drop me a mail. Hello at digitalkungfu.co.za and I'd like to give you the chance to give your business a free bit of fame. I think, yeah, I, I do agree. And this, again, I suppose this is an interesting point, right? When you talk about the roles of those three things in the context of leadership, mm. it's interesting, right? Because there's different ways to translate the words into different contexts, right? Um, so so from my side, I, I, would, I still, I think you're also equally right. I don't <laughs> think, you know, one way or the other um, is better than the other or more right than the other. But what I would say is that the more accountable you are, 
or whoever has the majority of the accountability in corporate, that's where you get. That's why you get paid the big bucks. The reason being is because the person that's accountable is actually not the person making the decisions, because they're managing the decisions that get made by the business. The people that are responsible for the business, they are the ones that are actually making the decisions. Mm -hmm. And the higher up the food chain that you go, or in the case of an entrepreneur, the bigger your company gets, the more accountable you get. The CEO, that's why he has a board, right? Because the board holds the CEO accountable Accountable, for the decisions, but he has the authority on what decisions to make. But in the the business unit functions like finance Mm -hmm. and marketing Mm -hmm. and sales and the shit name like HR. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. there's KPIs that enforce capability, but it's really talking about decision-making, but ultimately accountability sits at the C-suite level or at the uh, executive level. Do you agree or not? I, ultimate accountability. The account, so each of them has got a different accountability measure. His accountability is the business. Who's he? The CEO. Okay. The CEO. C-suite level. His accountability is the business. So he's being looked at for total business performance. But if you go to his executive, take his exco, each of them, that CFO has got his own accountability um, in terms of the financial context yes. of the business. Um, he is accountable into the CEO, as we've described. There's accountability all the way through, right down every level of the business. The thing that the, the complexity of the conversation these guys were having yesterday was they were saying, we're given ownership, we're given voting power, decision making power. We're told what our accountability is and what our deliverable is and how we're being measured and what we are accountable for. And where the catch comes in is, in, is what you've mentioned about authority. We're not given the authority we need to do what we actually need to do. It's a bit of a smoke screen. So they say we've got ownership, but there's certain things that we need authorization or authority to do that we just can't do. So we're not being set up for success. Are you talking, so give an example. What do you mean like finance so authority, a, the authority to release a payment of more than a hundred grand or whatever? Um, yeah, that's a little bit of a bureaucrat. That can slow down. That is, it definitely slows down decision-making opportunity gets lost. I'll talk about a recruiting thing. This was a big theme in the conversation yesterday. There, there's a, a certain structure that's been put into the business that says two things. One, people have to have a certain um, pre-qualification to be considered for employment, which is archaic thinking. Um, and the other uh, is hello, that, Accenture, PwC, Deloitte. Et cetera, et cetera, By the way, that's their whole business model, point so, of leverage. So, well, there's Let's another... Let's sell organ- a billion pound project and get interns to deliver well, it. That's exactly it. I mean, there's another organization, global organization, that sends you for an IQ test, official formal IQ test. Unless your IQ is above a certain number, you don't get an interview. So they've got a lot of smart people running around, but they're fracturing at a culture level because you put a, a whole bunch of very clever people in a room together it's not a happy dinner party. Mm. Um, but these guys, the, the example I was going to give is, so they, are, they can't employ the way they want to employ. So they're not, they want to employ for attitude um, before skill set. They want to teach skill set. And unfortunately, a lot of the right attitude, which has got great skill, doesn't have that pre-qualification. So they're stuck. Hands are tied. And there's a system that says you cannot break that rule. Um, so they haven't got authority to do what they know will take the business forward. Another example is they identify talent across the organization, a very solid organization, where they see a certain skill that they want to access. That individual has got capacity. They've checked. And the person who gets in the way is that person's boss who says, you're not touching my resource. Now, there needs to be a different way of authorizing access to great resource inside a business. You know, it's kind of like having a sports team. 
you got a, a soccer team and you make a bold statement that the right back cannot score a goal. That's the job of the center forward. That's ridiculous. But in business, that's exactly what we do. We say, no, that person cannot do that, even though they've been identified as having that ability because it's in a different area of the business. So we're saying, go, be great, build big business. You've got ownership, do what you want to do, but you can't do this, this, and this. And those things that we say you can't do are the things that we need to be authorizing. That's the critical thing. But then who's responsible? So... <laughs> and that, who, take that who, example. Who's so, responsible then? Because is, cause does the responsibility sit within the business process itself or does it sit with the line manager who needs to be, well, you see, now I'm, I'm kind of like, well, hang on, is, you know, is, is, well, he's accountable to the business, right? right but exactly. he's also responsible for the decision of releasing that employee to go and do this thing, so right? Line manager is responsible for releasing the employee. Yeah. In terms of the employee's delivery and his behavior, the person in the new environment to which he's delivering, there's now an accountability there. Uh, you know, if you think about the way the world of, of entrepreneurial business works, so let's say I'm working on three projects um, in three different businesses or 20. I have got a different accountability to each of those projects, to my clients, so to speak. In the world of, of corporate business, it's completely, completely identical. We just don't know how to identify it working that way. Uh, there's no difference. You have this, this, this boss over there, this boss over there, and this boss over there. The problem is that we haven't worked out how to reward cross-silo, cross-channel. I mean, one of the other greatest failings where this, this features for me in business is we haven't worked out in the world of business how to reward um, specialist expertise and great individual performance without making them a leader. Some people just don't want to be leaders. They don't want to have to lead people, but they're specialists, they're experts. And where the catch comes in is ego because no boss will allow his staff member to earn more than he does. Now, the way to reward somebody for superb performance is if they don't want leadership is money. That's the other, I mean, that's an obvious one. But a boss says, no way is that person going to earn more than me, even though they're better than me. So what we have to do to give somebody a higher salary is make them a leader. Now, we just took them out of what they do awesomely and put them into something that they don't want to do and they do badly. And that's why I have a business, is to teach those people how to lead. Or you could say, we're going to give you five grand less a month, but we're going to give you additional benefits. So for instance, foosball. Take a lot, thousand <laughs> rand vouchers, or so. Yeah, look, I think also you got to get to people's drivers. But um, you know, recently Netflix um, they in- in- instituted a policy at a culture level where they took away all those those fancy perks, free sushi and foosball and all that other nonsense. That's fun. It is. <laughs> it's fun to have, but. What they're saying, their business methodology is the greatest gift we can give you is putting A players around you, A plus players, powerful, bright, switched on colleagues is the way to build great culture according to them. And the other stuff is just, it's just frill, it's just cute. Do you know what I see as a kind of a key challenge for leadership around talent, like in 2020? Yeah. Don't know whether you saw this millennial report, but it's all about... Which one, Deloitte's or... uh, I don't actually know, but it's a, it's a big one. It's yeah. the latest one. And I keep hearing this thing coming up about millennials. Yeah. So, so basically, millennials don't want to build your dream, right? So hmm. if you're a business owner and you're working with millennials, it's generally a fucking nightmare, yeah. okay? 
um, and to manage them, incentivize them. There's a huge theme around entitlement, etc. And anyone who's listening to this with a business who's working with millennials will be will be like agreeing with me on this one. But the main thing is is that they don't want to build your dream as a business owner. They want to build their dream. In other words, the key th- sort of thematic there is about they don't want to be employed. So for me, when you take that into a far larger context like the talent pool of South Africa and the professional skilled talent pool, um, then the key challenge for leaders imminently is how do you employ a millennial workforce, because that's where the demographic's going, Mm -hmm. in 2020 when they don't want to be employed? And that's what the big conversation is around the, what is it that they want? I mean, that's the conversation everyone's having. and trying well, to They identify, want to build their own dream, right? They want to build their own dream. So what does that dream look like? And you've got to work out as an employer, how do you create the experience of that dream inside your work context? And that's where remote workplace stuff is coming through. That's where... Uh, the complete reinvention of work environments is coming through. That's where new methodologies of accountability are coming through. That's where accepting that people are not going to stay for 20 years is starting to become the norm. Understand that don't get too attached to them because they're going to be gone. Um, and so it's creating new ways of thinking in short term. Many organizations that I'm working with at the moment are not building 20-year plans. They're building two-year strategies, five-year strategies. Think about an organization that is delivering a product or service um, think about fuel. If you're one of the fuel companies, you're selling fossil fuel-based energy in a world that's moving very quickly away from fossil fuel-based energy processes. So you can't think 20 years away. You've got to be thinking right now and 20 years ago to away, two strategies. And then what you've got to be doing is thinking about, we've still got the old, we've got, we've got a blend of generational complexity because we've got millennials who are becoming almost an old story now um, with Gen C and the, the, the generation of connection. That's another conversation. I need to have like literally a permanent thing up on my wall in my office where it says, here's the generational index yeah. and this yeah. is what it means because there's always a new number and I'm like, ah, I don't get it. But the, the tricky part here is millennials, you can also over-obsess on generational stereotyping because if you're applying good innovation methodology, what you're doing is you're looking at the person in front of you. Um, and everybody's got a different want and everybody's got a different need. And so it's when you start to innovate and lead with that intention for the people inside your business and the people outside your business, how do you go broad enough to satisfy everybody, but go specific enough that all of them feel like you're paying personal attention? And that's the question we have to be asking for customers and staff or employees. Yeah, I know. So I want to talk about leadership tools. Mm. So what would you describe as a leadership tool of the future? I think that leaders in the future now and moving into the future need to balance two things. One is understanding technology and digitization. You don't have to be an expert, but you certainly need to understand it and its impact. Um, and the second is, is, as I mentioned earlier, empathy for people, understanding what people want. So I think that the critical tool for leaders at a people level is learning um, human-centric language, learning how to observe, learning how to move away from assumption. Probably the most powerful tool a leader can have is learning to ask the right questions to get facticity as opposed to sitting in assumption. That will change the quality of thinking and conversations they're having. 
that's a human tool. That's a personal tool. In terms of digital, I don't know enough about the world of digital. I study trends. I follow trends. But I think leaders are going to need to – in fact, the best tool a leader can have moving forward is a sidekick, which is a, is a chief digital officer. That's the tool they need is to have a person sitting next to them and not as a part of the organization but as a side lens into the organization with a view to slowly but surely converting, and you'll love this, converting that entire organization to a digitally-based organization that knows how to engage human beings. Mm. That's, uh, I mean, I've just started a new business called Still Human. And um, Andy, my partner and I, we focus on the fact that God, it governs your decision around when you take on financing, mm-hmm. what type of financing you take on. Think about it. Those guys, the VCs, typically want to make money, right? But in your case, if you care, I mean, Seth Godin did this with his tea company. He declined yeah. VC money simply because they would dilute their brand. And the brand was all about authenticity and caring about, the, about their customer. Well, it's, so it's um, uh, Buffett who said that when he looks to invest in a business, I mean, uh, he's the biggest investor of all time. He said he looks for a business that uh, people are in love with. They love their business. He puts money in and he gets out of the way. Because if he brings his hardcore capitalist approach, he's going to screw up a business that's based on love. Um, I, you know, you said as business leaders, we, we, we are purpose-driven. We want to you know, make things. I don't see that. I, mean, I, I, I totally understand that. That's how I like to lead my businesses. Um, very much so. But a lot of the businesses I see and CEOs are doing one thing and one thing only. They're chasing shareholder value. They're chasing profitability. And that's the message they get from the board is just, we've got to be profitable. That's why they're dinosaurs, dude. And they always will be. So the thing is that they're still giants, a lot of them. And our job is to try and shift that mentality is to bring what's the baggage they got to let go of. What's the wisdom they have to take into the future, as I said earlier. But um, it's, it's the, Somebody a long time ago mentioned to me a concept called death by a thousand cuts. It's when you are one of those big, like let's say you're one of the big clothing retailers, um, the likes of an Edgar's or a Studderford's or one of those, um, and you think that they're untouchable because they're just so massive. But then you've got around them in a shopping center all these little boutiques, and it's every time somebody goes into that little boutique, they're not going to Edgar's or Studderford's. And eventually you bleed out, but, and we've seen it. Now, it's, it, but it takes a long time. Those, those shareholder-driven companies in a world that's becoming very purpose-driven, they're not going to disappear overnight. You know, we call them dinosaurs, but they're still powerful. That's the thing is, how do we start to shift that mentality? I mean, that's our work. Um, some of them are successful in spite of themselves. That's the, that, you know, if you sell a product that everybody buys because they buy it, whether you're a, a purpose-driven company or you know, I get challenged on working with, um, with uh, breweries, for example. Can't work for a company that sells alcohol. It goes, I mean, I don't drink. It goes against everything I believe in. I think it's destructive. It's society damaging. People die. I have a different approach. I'd rather work inside that organization trying to change the way they think as opposed to going, I'm not going to work with them because then where's my purpose living? Yeah, as long as you stop there with the perspective shift because they won't change. You know, they won't change. Trust me. They why can't won't they change? change. Why won't they change? They can't change, dude. They're like, they're so, to your point, if you, and this is what you mentioned right like earlier on in the show, uh-huh. where you mentioned about incentives and motivation. If you know what someone's incentivized to do, they become predictable. So, for instance, if a CEO is chasing shareholder value and you go to him with this, 
this is the future of your business in 2020, he's yeah. not going to buy it. He won't buy it. He's not incentivized to buy it. He's not interested in buying it because quite frankly, he's, he's driving a nice fat fucking Range yeah. Rover yeah. and he's incentivized to create shareholder value. And if the organization is healthy, yeah. even if it's declining in revenues, that's actually where it becomes even harder to shift because then the need's not there. So all I'm saying is, businesses in my experience consulting in South Africa aren't fucking interested in changing. But what they are interested in is the uh, ability to buy a new perspective. Someone to tell them that, hey, in other words, you're going to be the violin guy playing the violin on the Titanic. But you're not going to get that Titanic to turn around. I'll tell you where I see it turning around is nobody's ever going to move away from the instruction of shareholder value, profitability, growth in markets, that message, that's business. That was business from the day business was invented and it will be business forever. However, there's something that a lot of organizations I'm finding are starting to have a look at. Something we call side metrics is what are the other things that we're starting to measure in terms of value? Because what they do is they give us brand credibility in today's world. So we're still going to sell what we sell. We're going to sell as much of it as we can, but we're going to use side metrics as a, as a marketing tactic, as a brand credibility tactic, as a market equity tactic um, to create more acceptability of what it is that we do. And side metrics are making a difference. Are having projects, uh, whether you sell cigarettes or alcohol or whatever it is that you do, you also are doing things that are making a difference on the planet, making societal impact. It's contradictory, however, because at the same time, you're also creating all the, the negativity into the universe that you create by what you do. And there's a belief inside some of the leadership in these types of organizations that it balances out at some sort of a karmic level. For me, the important thing is that they're doing that work. That's the important thing is that they are doing and investing significantly in it. That that marketing spend, and it's marketing spend, it's marketing money allocated to making a difference, could be going to big billboards and whatnot, but instead they're putting it into other places. And that's through the having the right conversations with them. That's through starting to bend somebody's ear in terms of where there is actually real value at a brand level um, to do that kind of stuff. It's just a different approach in today's day and age. What they're looking for, though, is understanding return on investment. And that's where those projects are so critical. And the organizations popping up that are designing really good ROI projects that make a difference that also create brand enhancement. Mm. Very cool. Dude, thank you so much for your time. If anything is, we haven't even spoken about your, your other stuff about your business and what you've learned and all that. We just kind of got into this theme of leadership, but it's been fantastic. And thank I think a, a very worthy conversation for entrepreneurs out there to, to listen to perhaps more than once. Awesome. I'll have to come back. Cool, dude. Thanks. All the best. Ciao. So one more thing before you go, guys. I'm offering a keynote talk. Uh, it is a talk that is 60 minutes uh, in length to executives called The Digitization of Business and Disruptive Technologies. The session is designed to empower executives and their teams with the means to unlock new competitive advantages in a business environment which is becoming increasingly competitive. The session also includes a 30-minute lab or practical session where you will leave with a new perspective on the threats surrounding your business. So if you are interested in booking me for this keynote, please drop me a note. Hello at digitalkungfu.co.za. And for listeners of the Matt Brown Show only, I am offering this talk at a 5,000 Rand discount. So if you'd like to book me for this talk, please drop me a note. Hello at digitalkungfu.co.za. 
Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the Matt Brown Show. It's been an absolute privilege having you with us. And remember, if you'd like more information on Digital Kung Fu or our guests and the full show notes, all you have to do is head on over to digitalkungfu.co.za and you can catch us all over the social media graph. So until next time. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients Clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.